Comrades, today we commemorate the 100th anniversary of Vladimir Lenin's October Revolution by looking back on a century of the useful idiots who have propagated communist lies. Then Candace Owens in studio, Red Pill Black, Ariel Davidson and His Eminence Paul Bois join the panel of deplorables to discuss Trump's gun grabber smackdown, Republican odds on election day 2017, and more of Hillary Clinton's terrible ideas. We could fill a year of podcasts with those, couldn't we? I am Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. We have a lot of communism to get to today. Today is a chock full of communism, but first, Let's start out with a little capitalism because there's some good news. We have a sponsor. We are going to keep the lights on today, keep Cafefe in the mug. And this sponsor, you've heard from them before, a really great product called Skillshare. So Skillshare is, uh, is really great. If you're looking to get a leg up at work, leg up on your career, or you're just trying to have a little side hustle, I've been in Hollywood for three years. Nobody here has full-time employment. It's just not possible. So everyone's got a side hustle going on. Skillshare will give you the opportunity to get your skills up on any uh, side hustle you're trying to do. Maybe your hobby. Maybe you're going to make a little money on it. Uh, there are over 3 million members. There are 17,000 classes that you can access on this uh, great uh, site. It's the Netflix for learning things. So it's, you know, Netflix is the Netflix for just wasting time at the end of the day. But Skillshare is the Netflix for doing something productive and improving your life. Uh, you can take classes in anything. Just a few examples are graphic design, DSLR photography, social media marketing, digital illustration, and much more. I haven't done any of those things because they're too useful. I actually, I'm uh, looking at classes right now that are even before that, which is how to stop wasting time, how to speed read, how to, eat, how, like these kind of meta classes. They're really, really good though. And there are things that you wouldn't learn on your own. You're not going to go to some institution or a local college and learn these things, but you can do it right from the comfort of your own home. I'm a millennial, which means two things. I don't want to ever leave my couch because I've morphed right into it. I've actually become one with the chair and the cushions. And also, I don't want to spend a lot of money on that. I can get anything for a pretty good deal online. And this is a really excellent deal. You can have access to any of these classes. And for my listeners right now, you can go to Skillshare.com slash Michael. That's Skillshare.com slash Michael. M-I-C-H-A-E-L. I'm sort of like, like Michael Knowles now is becoming like Beyonce Knowles. We're both dropping the Knowles part. So just slash Michael. You can get one month for free. So you don't have to pay anything. 17,000 classes, depending on if you do the how to get things done and stop procrastinating and speed read, you, you might be able to finish all 17,000 in one month. So go over there right now. You'd be insane not to try this. Skillshare.com slash Michael. Try out design, photography, marketing, entrepreneurship, anything else that you want to learn, virtually anything else, you can get there. So go do it. Skillshare.com slash Michael. Okay, that's enough communism. That's enough happiness and human dignity and self-improvement and liberty. We have to get into all of the terrible lies of communism. Today marks the 100th anniversary of the October Revolution. This might confuse you as today is November 7th. The discrepancy of dates is directly caused by Russia still having been on the old Julian calendar in 1917, but indirectly, more profoundly, the October Revolution's November birth date exemplifies the central fact of communism. It's a lie from the very beginning. Despite representing a tiny minority of political forces at work in the February Revolution to oust Russia's Romanov dynasty, and constituting only the majority of the most extreme leftist elements among the Russian revolutionaries, Vladimir Lenin called his faction Bolshevik, 
which means one of the majority. Now, speaking of lies, to commemorate this day, the Washington Post ran a 4,700-word piece titled, 100 Years Later, Bolshevism is Back and We Should Be Worried. Yeah, I'd be worried about that. That's pretty scary. You might assume that the Washington Post article described the recent spate of New York Times pieces extolling the virtues of communism. Here are some headlines. What killed the promise of Muslim communism? Are Christians supposed to be communists? Uh, no, spoiler alert, no. Or why women had better sex under socialism. You, you might presume that the Washington Post discussed the terrifying recent poll that showed that the majority of American millennials would rather live in a communist, socialist, or fascist nation than a capitalist uh, nation, than a nation where you have freedom. But no, that's, that is not what the Washington Post talk about. Instead, in this nearly 5,000 word article, they accused Republican President Donald Trump whose administration has overseen massive deregulation, enforcement of democratically elected, enacted law, the appointment of textualist judges faithful to the Constitution, a bold and nuanced foreign policy that has thus far avoided the disastrous bellicosity of Barack Obama's regime, robust defense of civil rights and religious liberty. No, no, no. They accused that President Trump of being a neo-Bolshevik. The Washington Post, ladies and gentlemen, democracy dies in darkness. The what? Fake news at its finest. Vladimir Lenin is said to have called communist sympathizers in America useful idiots. The phrase refers to people like New York Times reporter Lincoln Steffens, who traveled to the Soviet Union shortly after the revolution and claimed, quote, I have seen the future and it works. Or New York Times reporter Walter Durante, I'm seeing a trend here, New York Times reporter Walter Durante, who won the Pulitzer Prize for publishing Stalin's propaganda, denying the Holodomor that starved to death, uh, starved to death seven and a half million people. Or Anne Applebaum, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who penned today's insipid twaddle in the Washington Post. All allegedly expert thought leaders on a subject about which they wrote in such ignorance. The Russian Revolution led to the death of at least 94 million people as communism infected nations around the world. It enslaved half of the globe. Yet much of the left in America remains unrepentant in their support of tyranny. And <laughs> finally, new rule, Fidel Castro is not worse than vampire Hitler. And Cuba is not North Korea crossed with hell. If we had opened up relations with Cuba 30 years ago, instead of pursuing the stupidest, most ineffective policy in American history, not named the drug war, <laughs> today Cuba would look like St. Bart's and your kid would be there on spring break drinking rum out of a jug, jug shaped like a frog. People in sinecures like yours, affluent, protected people in Western countries where they can speak their minds, who defend this guy. I've never met anybody who fled from Cuba who would defend him. Because, well, the ones who have fled for a number of reasons, sometimes for personal reasons, they left their wives behind. They want to start a new life with a, with a new wife, forget about the old family. They don't, you don't hear about that in the media there. And nationalism, the Cuban So you're saying that people who fled people. Castro were abandoning their families? Some of them, because some they of them like there, some want to them. begin a new life there. Some of them were, were so it's not, it's not this huge system of political uh, oppression that uh, is very popular a, among, uh, among certain sectors there. In 1985, you praised the Sandinista government and you said that Daniel Ortega was an impressive guy. Uh, this is what you said about Fidel Castro. Let's listen. You may recall way back in, what was it, 1961, they invaded Cuba. 
And everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world, that all the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They had forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. Useful idiots like Bernie Sanders at the end. I'm sure you could tell because he sounds exactly the same as he did then, both in content and in voice. But uh, that was Bernie about 30 years ago. Useful idiots. Men of character and moral clarity saw this evil for what it was as it began. People all the time quote the Iron Curtain line of Winston Churchill's speech, The Sinews of Peace. But they often neglect his prescription for how to fight this ideology of lies. Be blind to the fact that the liberties enjoyed by individual citizens throughout the United States and throughout the British Empire are not valid in a considerable number of countries, some of which are very powerful. In these states, control is enforced upon the common people by various kinds of all-embracing police governments to a degree which is overwhelming and contrary to every principle of democracy. The power of the state is exercised without restraint, either by dictators or by compact oligarchies operating through a privileged party and a political police. But we must never cease to proclaim in fearless tones the great principles of freedom and the rights of man, which are the joint inheritance of the English-speaking world that freedom of speech and thought should reign, that courts of justice, independent of the executive, unbiased by any party, should administer laws which have received the broad assent of large majorities or are consecrated by time and custom. Let us preach what we practice. Let us practice what we preach. Perfectly said, perfectly summed up by Winston Churchill. We must not only practice what we preach, we also have to preach what we practice. Yet from the American left, all too often we hear, liberty for me, but not for thee. From atop the shoulders of the giants who built our civilization on ordered liberty and human dignity, they preach against the spiritual and philosophical foundation of that society that they enjoy, of the life that they live. They are the sophisters, economists, and calculators that Edmund Burke warned us about. But some men understood Churchill's vision, and they saw through the degrading materialism of communist ideologies. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. And he said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Communism deprives man of his dignity because it pretends that man is an animal. That's why where conservatives see people, leftists only see the masses, the unwashed masses. How often do you hear that phrase? The more they love mankind, the less they love men in particular. G.K. Chesterton understood that communism relies on a central lie, which comes from the father of lies, and he explained the strange fruit of this mystical religion of materialism. He wrote, quote, The Marxian talks as if the only object of saving people from sufferings inflicted by the, quote, blind forces of capitalism was that those people should have material consumption and material security. It is not. It is that they should have life and that they should have it more abundantly. It is not only that a man should be secure of eating the turnip, it is that he should have authority over the turnip and liberty with the turnip and the right to choose his own way of cooking the turnip. For that sense of dignity makes all the difference to his general view of life and of that heaven 
which fills the empty spaces and the idle hours. On this 100th anniversary of Lenin's Lies, let's redouble our efforts to defend the liberty and dignity that make life worth living and to rebuff the useful idiots who propagate those lies at every chance that we possibly can. All right, enough about communism. Let's get to the news. I'd, communism ruined an entire century, and it does not need to ruin the rest of my show. So we have an excellent panel to bring on. We have Candace Owens, Red Pill Black in studio. We have Ariel Davidson. We even have his eminence, Paul Bois, the, the cardinal himself. Uh, but I might have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Before we go, be sure to tune in to watch our next episode of The Conversation. That uh, conversation is going to be on Tuesday, November 14th at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, featuring little old me. The conversation will stream live on the Daily Wire website, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. It will be free for everyone to watch, but only subscribers can ask the questions. Subscribe today to ask me all of the most important, the most kafefe questions you have, and join the conversation. We have got a lot to talk about with our panel. We have Donna Brazil, we have Donald Duck, we have Ed Gillespie, and we have one of the stupidest things CNN's Crystal has ever said, but we can't get to it unless you go to dailywire.com right now and subscribe. For those who are already subscribing, thank you. You keep the lights on. You keep Kofefe in my cup. For those of you who don't, go to dailywire.com right now. It is $10 a month or $100 for an annual membership. What do you get? What do I get, Michael? This is capitalism, baby. What do I get? Well, you get me. You get the Andrew Clavin show. You get the Ben Shapiro show. Yeah, 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 yeah. But look at this, look at this folks, the leftist tears tumbler. It's the 100th anniversary of the Russian Revolution, of the promise of the glories of communism, and we have relegated that awful ideology to the ash heap of history, and we've relegated their delicious tears to my tumbler. You need this vessel or you might drown. Go to dailywire.com right now, enjoy your leftist tears, hot or cold, always salty and delicious. We'll be right back. Mm, so good, so so delicious, so nice and sour. I'm almost parched, they're so salty. Okay, we've got a great panel to bring on today. I think we've talked enough about communism. I don't want to talk anymore about these. They ruined the whole century. Let's talk about Chris Saliza. <laughs> so from CNN, which uh, you might not know is fake news. This is CNN, this is fake news. Chris Saliza had this headline, quote, Trump literally just made the good guy with a gun argument. Literally, not figuratively, literally. That's real news. That's CNN. That's a real journalist, Chris Eliza. Let's see what Chris is talking about. You've talked about wanting to put extreme vetting on people trying to come into the United States. But I wonder if you would consider extreme vetting for people trying to buy a gun. Well, you know, you're bringing up a situation that probably shouldn't be discussed too much right now. But it's okay if you feel that that's an appropriate question, even though we're the heart of South Korea. If you did what you're suggesting... There would have been no difference three days ago. And you might not have had that very brave person who happened to have a gun or a rifle in his truck go out and shoot him and hit him and neutralize him. And I can only say this. If he didn't have a gun, instead of having 26 dead, he would have had hundreds more dead. And are you considering any kind of gun control policy going forward? When you forward? look at the, the city with the strongest gun laws in our nation is Chicago. Mm -hmm. And Chicago is a disaster. If this man didn't have a gun or a rifle, you'd be talking about a much worse situation in the great state of Texas. 
But Chris Eliza reports, Trump literally just made this argument. The sun literally shines. The fish literally swim. Candace, what's wrong with the argument? Well, uh, first off, Trump is literally Hitler. I forgot. According That's to true. CNN. Take that so, note. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. I don't think that they know anything about history. I don't think they're paying attention. Just because you, let's say guns were completely illegal and nobody could ever get their hands on it. That does not change the fact that people are going to get their hands on things illegally. Do they pay attention to the era of prohibition where people not drinking there? It's just, it's a tired argument. And let's not even talk about how inappropriate it is that she is interrupting the president while he is on foreign land in South Korea. They're supposed to be talking about trade. And she's like, let's talk about our personal issues, like right now. Well, they they have to pounce on it. It is true. And Trump, I love, made that point. He said, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be talking about this when I'm in South Korea. But no, that's fine. I'll answer. I'll answer. Um, it It is a tired argument. Obviously, it was illegal for this shooter to get a gun anyway. There was a law against him getting a gun, and the government bureaucracy failed to do its job. Surprise, surprise. We're a country of 300 million guns. Paul Bois, Saliza seems to make arguments about guns that are essentially statistic. He, he says, well, you know, according to these statistics, good guys with guns don't usually stop shootings or whatever. Doesn't the statistical version of this gun argument miss the point of the Second Amendment? Yes, essentially. I mean, the Second Amendment is basically a philosophical, the, I mean, theological argument that human beings have a right to defend themselves and period. Now, of course, we can debate the uh, prudential extent uh, humans have a right to defend themselves, but, uh, you know, obviously should all citizens be allowed to own a tank or a bazooka? We can, yes. of course, uh, debate, uh, obviously. Oh, I'm sorry. No. I thought I, were, I didn't realize it was a rhetorical <laughs> question. Go on. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, speaks to that. Um, and on another point, uh, the reason why uh, they're engaging in these uh, statistical uh, debates regarding this, it, it sort of speaks to what you were talking about, uh, how the left only sees the masses in these scenarios. And Ben Shapiro hinted at this in his podcast the other day uh, about how when it comes to these types of tragedies and the left always calling for more gun control, uh, we get accused on the right of not having any nuance uh, at all. Uh, But that's really uh, the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, this is just, this happens and then the left goes, uh, Chris uh, Saliza is clearly doing it here. Citizens have no right to own firearms, period. Uh, whereas we say, yeah, uh, some citizens should have firearms. Right. Obviously, this guy should not have firearms. He was illegally barred from owning them, uh, but the government failed us. So, well, it's because it's not ideological. They're they're looking for an answer because the the leftist view of the world, like the communist view of the world is essentially ideological, whereas conservatism at least tries to avoid ideology. I remember Antonin Scalia was asked a question once, well, how, you know, something to the effect of, how are you able to apply this complicated uh, constitutional provision? How are you able to interpret it? And his answer was, very carefully. (laughs) You have to do it very carefully because we're dealing in human things. Ariel, while the left uniformly mocks and invades against conservatives who have offered their thoughts and prayers for the victims of this evil, they can't seem to articulate a policy prescription that would have prevented the crime. Similarly, conservatives and so-called conservatives who continue to obstruct Donald Trump and invade against him can't seem to articulate any alternative for our political goals of expanding liberty. Is there ever any reason to preen? If you're not part of the solution, aren't you just part of the problem? 
Well, I think it's natural after some an event like this, and including uh, the Vegas massacre as well, to say what could we have done to prevent this. And I think there are lots of solutions to this problem, but I don't think necessarily uh, regulating weapons to the extreme that the left is seeking. Um, I also think it's, it's, like I said, it's natural to seek answers. The other thing I want to note, though, is that the reason the left can't come up with a policy prescription is because the laws were already in place, particularly for this past uh, this incident this past weekend. Um, this is a failure of government enforcing its own laws that are already on the books. I'm shocked. So that begs the question. Calling me shocked. Right. So that begs the question, if we can't even enforce the laws already on the book, our bloated bureaucracy, are they going to be able to handle an increased capacity of regulations, especially it, when it comes to communicating on a state versus federal level? This is what so Ronald what, Reagan predicted. He said that what the right. left always tells us, just give us a little bit more power, just give us a little bit more money and we'll get it right this time. No, next time, we'll, we'll get it. Right. And I think the other issue is that the reason the left can't come up with an articulate policy is that their ultimate end game is confiscation. Uh, I do firmly believe that because when it comes to we want gun control now, if you respond by saying, well, with the according to current regulation and law, the shooter should not have had access to guns to begin with, their answer will be more laws. And then if you get to the real nitty gritty of what they specifically want is a limitation on the types of firearms sold uh, and then potentially just an end to firearm sales in general. Uh, which obviously will be a disaster, but uh, I think that's ultimately why they're not crystallizing for us what their policy endgame is, largely because we know deep down it's coming down to confiscation. That's it. I mean, a country of 300 million guns, there's one policy that would change any of these shooting statistics, and that's mass confiscation. And it would right. probably have a negative effect on many other <laughs> crime statistics, but that's the one. You got to take them, you got to go over to all those cold dead hands and pry them out. All right, enough about the guns. Let's get down to nitty gritty politics. Today's election day in at least two places, Virginia and New Jersey. There are a pretty highly watched races there. Ed Gillespie, the Republican candidate in Virginia. Kim Guadagno, Republican candidate in New Jersey. Uh, it looks like Kim is probably going to lose, but Ed Gillespie is running neck and neck right now. Um, Candace, is Gillespie going to win? I certainly hope so. I mean, if he wins, it tells us a lot about where the American mindset is at. Um, it also shows us a lot watching this race in Virginia that the Democrats haven't pivoted their strategy whatsoever, mm -hmm. uh, even though they just had the biggest upset in the history of presidential elections. And they don't understand that their party is very split. They're are the moderate Democrats, which are so close to being conservative, and they can't... Are there? I haven't met them in a while. Are, <laughs> yeah. they, are they still there? Yeah, they're still there. They're, they're hanging on by a thread, but they're still there, and they're, they're so close to jumping ship, which is something that I did, because everything just seems so illogical on the extreme left side. Mm. Uh, so it's something that we have to pay attention to closely, because it lets us know what the Democrats have in store, and right now, from everything I'm seeing, it's absolutely nothing. Well, Candace, it's about, it's about your lion eyes, isn't it? You know, they, <laughs> they ran that ad against Gillespie that showed a Tea Partier's truck that was mowing down little Arabic children the same week that uh, a, a Muslim terrorist mowed down people in New York in the name of ISIS and while yelling Allahu Akbar. Is that, we were just talking about the, the lies of communism, that it's fundamentally founded on a lie. And your screen name, your name on YouTube is Red Pill Black because you basically realize that so much of what we've been told in our political establishment is a lie. It's the it's the lies of the the media and the elites and the experts who it's not that they're ignorant. It's just 
that they're expert and they really know things that aren't true. What was it that pushed you over? What, what were the lies that pushed you over and said, huh, maybe the world isn't quite like I thought it was? You know, I think, and I think this is true for a lot of people, last election cycle, it was too aggressive. Like, normally they lie casually, you know, and they move on to the next story. They yeah, are like, so... baby, I love you. I've heard that line <laughs> yeah. once or twice. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. true. But they were so aggressive and angry when it came to Trump, and it hasn't stopped. Like, I was just on the phone this morning with my aunt, and she is a registered Democrat, and she said, I can't even bear to listen to CNN anymore. It's just become the Trump news network. There's so much hate and there's so much animosity that you have to essentially realize at some point that we learn about propaganda in our history textbooks. We are living under propaganda right now. The media is just trying to trick our brains and brainwash us. So I think if you had even a modicum of intelligence, you realize that something was up and that something was that these media companies are being run by businesses who have globalist interests. Hmm. And and they certainly, you know, it's funny you call it the Trump News Network. I guess now it is. They're just focused on Trump all day long. But I, w I would always hear of it as the CNN, the Clinton News Network, pro-Clinton, you know, now. Yeah. Now it's the same thing, I guess, now anti-Trump. Um, Ariel, the media are going to spin a Gillespie loss tomorrow as the big anti-Trump pivot. You know, they've been waiting for this in every special election that they were supposed to win, that Republicans then won. They always Then they say, oh, this doesn't matter. It's no big deal. You know that's how they're going to spin it if Gillespie loses. What, how are they going to spin it if Gillespie wins? What's the story going to be? It's going to be a moral victory because that's how the left <laughs> always spins it if they lose, but then they want to convince us that they actually won. I mean, we're talking about the age of participation trophies reigning supreme, right? So this is just an extension of the participation trophy. I mean, the left is starting to see their election losses as victories because the only way they can keep morale up is to tell the, you know, their, their electorates that don't worry, we're going to win next time. And, you know, we're on, we're on the right side of history. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's right. how they usually present their losses is that we just have the ignorant masses electing um, the incorrect politicians into office. And we have the moral high ground here. So when history writes books about, or when there's history books written about us, we will be on the right side of history. That's really how they're going to spin it. There was that guy. There was that guy in Georgia. They, you would have thought this was the the redo of the 2016 election. I think they thought it was, and he was in Georgia sixth, I think, John Ossoff, and then he lost. Yeah. And all the coverage, you would have thought that he won. It's just like when they tell a lie, and then they like Michael Brown. That Michael Brown was executed. He was completely innocent. He was surrendering to police, and then the, some racist cop just murdered him in cold blood. Then it turned out there were three autopsies, and a grand jury said that isn't what happened. And they say, well, okay, that wasn't true. But it gets to a greater truth. This complete lie that we've based our entire movement on, it act, I get, no, it's a lie. Shh, don't tell them it's a lie. It's a greater truth that we have to talk about. Your eminence, Mr. Bois, uh, Evan McMullen, the nominally Republican, never Trump presidential candidate who tried to spoil the election and give us President Hillary Clinton, he tweeted today, Ed Gillespie was one of the good guys, but now he peddles fear and white nationalism. No evidence of this whatsoever, of course. It's better for Virginia and America that he not prevail. Is this evidence that despite protestations of principles, guys like McMullen are just lefty squishes? Oh, Michael, I think self-righteous weasel is a better term for <laughs> this type. I have very little, little uh, respect for Evan McMullen. It was bad enough when he 
did his never Trump crusade during the election, uh, which couldn't even uh, keep Trump from winning Utah. And that's what Evan McMullen certainly wanted to do. And that failed. Uh, and he's just upset. You know, he, he didn't get to have his way. And you know, now he's out there uh, standing on his you know, pedestal alone, doing absolutely nothing and just trying to der derail uh, Trump's agenda and the Republican Party's agenda. Uh, on all this, he just looks ridiculous, and, and so the evidence really that he's a squish. Well, maybe not all of the guys who oppose Trump are squishes. I understand there were plenty of reasons not to be thrilled with his nomination among conservatives and Republicans. But the reason I think we know that McMullen is just a squish is that he's he lost a presidential bid, and he's behaving the way that Democrats do when they lose the presidency. Not the way when Republicans lose the presidency, they do it gracefully. Mm -hmm. George Bush Senior, Bob Dole. Uh, John McCain, Mitt Romney, they all just get over it and move on, you know? And the Democrats, Hillary Clinton, uh, Al Gore, they lose their minds and they just start muttering on the sidewalks, screaming to themselves that they are the real president. I think we're seeing that with McMullen, that squish. Okay, moving on. In her tell-all, speaking of electoral strategy and Democrats, Donna Brazile is writing about what she considers the idiocy of one of Hillary's campaign strategies, in which... That she, Hillary would send Donald Duck costumed protesters to Trump rallies because Trump ducked releasing his tax returns. He ducked that. Do you get it? He ducked. He was a duck. Oh, Donald yeah. Duck. Do you get it? It's really, it's really funny, you know, because it's a duck. Uh, Candace, why ultimately do you think that Hillary Clinton couldn't encourage people to Pokemon Go to the polls? I can't imagine. <laughs> It is just, the strategy was so bad. <laughs> and the greatest thing about Donna Brazile and all of these revelations is we've just been screaming it for about a year now. And suddenly, I don't know, maybe she just doesn't know about Project Veritas, doesn't know about the WikiLeaks emails, and she thinks that her book is like groundbreaking. She's like, <laughs> The DNC cheated. Oh, really? The DNC cheated? Weren't you the head of the DNC? I thought you were the Weren't you? Didn't you help them when you fed the CNN a question? <laughs> yeah, so didn't you cheat? Yeah. It's just, it's absolute, like, she's totally oblivious to herself. And to, at a certain point, you have to feel bad, like, that these strategies were so bad that Hillary Clinton, like, high-fived herself and was like, this is going to be so good. We're going to get Donald Duck in a costume yeah. and say he ducked his taxes. I know what the youths are after. I know what the youths really want. I know. Donna Brazile really is a Johnny-come-lately on this because she did cheat on behalf of Hillary Clinton. But whatever. It is fun to watch it crash and burn. I'm a little actually upset with Donna Brazile because right now she, Elizabeth Warren, Democrats are just completely murdering Hillary Clinton. Uh, who knows why? Maybe they're worried that Mueller is going to implicate uh, Clinton and Podesta in his investigation. Who knows? But uh, it's too bad because I was waiting for Hillary 2020, Hillary 2024, Hillary 2020. Hillary now more than ever. Hillary Clinton forever. Uh, Paul Bois, your eminence, this reminds me of when M. Night Shyamalan began to exert complete creative control over his movies and he never made a good movie ever again. Is this evidence that campaigns need decentralized power? Oh, quite the contrary, Michael. <laughs> I know you I, love M. Night Shyamalan. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been so uh, qu qu quite, quite the contrary, Michael. I, I, I so wish Hillary just got her complete way with all this and, and Donald Duck was there at the DNC at every single uh, <laughs> rally of hers. I mean, it, it just would have been so beautiful. It, it, yeah, just one more reason. Uh, to be glad that Hillary is not sitting in the Oval Office right now. I mean, it just really speaks to how, how clueless she actually is. I mean, I, why would you want to associate Donald Trump with a beloved Disney character? It'd be like Trump uh, associating Hillary Clinton with Betty Boop. It, it, 
it makes no sense. The alternative actually was that they would send protesters dressed up as Uncle Sam, <laughs> and Hillary vetoed that. I mean, this is not a joke. Hillary vetoed that because she thought Donald Duck was funnier. But their other option was to associate Trump with America itself. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. You're right. Maybe we need more centralization for Democrats and Democrat campaigns because just as we saw in the Soviet Union, you centralize all that power, it is just going to collapse of its own weight. Ariel, is this evidence of Ann Coulter's thesis that despite all the sideshows and the reality TV of this campaign, voters ultimately care about issues, not gimmicks? Uh, I actually will even push back further on that. I read a piece today, and for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the author, but it was basically saying that Trump's victory was really about electing a cultural president as opposed to necessarily a policy-oriented president. That's not to say that Trump won't carry out certain policies, but when it came to sort of the percolating culture war that was evolving under Obama's eight years, it really Trump was sort of a declaration more so in the cultural war. Now, the policy implications of that are very strong. Um, but I do see that thesis as being something that's definitely worth arguing. Uh, well, I think I, I don't disagree with that at all. I would lump that yeah. in, though, with issues. You know, the, not right. all issues oh, are about lowering the tax rate. These culture right. war issues have been bubbling up for a long time. Everything else is just accounting, basically. But sometimes you right. see campaigns delve into stupid little sideshows like Donald Duck or, right. you know, the Pokemon Go or my NCAA well, bracket. And I, I don't know. I don't think it's about the tweets. I think it's about no, the it, content it is. of it. it. It is. And I actually got in a disagreement with someone about this on Twitter because I said, you know what, even if McCain, if McCain is voting against repealing Obamacare, even if he's doing it in a dignified way, I'm still going to fundamentally disagree with him. Right. I'm going to support the candidate who is, even if he's a little rough around the edges, is actually supporting and promoting the policies I want. If you are the one that's voting against Obamacare appeal and then complaining about Trump's tweets, I don't want to hear it. This is a taste versus content issue. I understand that. There are people within the GOP that prioritize taste over content. I am not one of them. Do I think Trump could clean up his tweets? Absolutely. Do I think he's a little rough around the edges? Yes, I do. But when it comes to content, I think that's the most important driving factor for me as, as a voter. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All right, that's our show. Listen, we've gotten so much. That is our show today because we're a capitalist show right here, so we got to go and make some money. I will say my guest and frequent Michael Knowles Show panel, Deplorables uh, panelist, Candace Owens, is uh, heading over to the Rubin Report. There's going to be a smackdown between another Michael Knowles Show friend, Blair White. So uh, definitely look out for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have three panel of deplorables people all just yelling viciously at one another. So should be a lot of fun. I can't wait to go watch that. Uh, the rest of the panelists, Ariel Davidson, your eminence, Paul Bois, thank you for being here on this wonderful anniversary of the beginning of communism now that we live post-communism. And uh, be sure to tune into the conversation. Uh, be sure to check out Another Kingdom by Andrew Clavin, performed by yours truly uh, on Stitcher or iTunes, Google Play, wherever great podcasts are. Get your mailbag questions in so that I can change your lives this Thursday. Come back tomorrow. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. We'll see you tomorrow and do it all again.